Hello and welcome aboard another episode of the Galan Says Podcast, live only on Twitch. You got to watch it live on Twitch if you want to ask me anything. And you can literally ask me anything. I will work it into the show. But if you're not doing that, you can watch this also on YouTube. You can see all my facial gesticulations, my cat attempt to break into my little studio room. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc., etc., etc. March Madness is upon us. There is a game on on the television above me. I have no idea who the fuck is playing. I'll be perfectly honest. I have been really bad at keeping track of college basketball this entire year. I've watched the occasional Cougs games, the University of Houston Cougs I'm talking about, but as far as actually knowing what's going on, I've been bad. I'll be honest, this has not been my best week as far as coming back from the dead in Chicago over the weekend. I've used that excuse a million times. I swear I was hungover until about today, but I didn't even fill out a bracket, which makes me an absolute fraud. We'll talk about March Madness a little bit later on in the show. We will also talk about some Pretty interesting rumors that had to do with former Texans head coach Bill O'Brien. Below Blackstar says, Paul, the Baker Mayfield shit is hilarious. We will talk about the Baker Mayfield shit. And on top of that, we will take a look at a moment in March Madness that triggered the hell out of me and some more whining New York Yankees. But uh, let's start off with a story that annoyed me. Oh, what a surprise, Paul. You're annoyed by something. Shut up. Anyway, maybe a little music to add some ambience, make this a little bit better. Come on, baby. Okay. Look at that. I don't know if this is actually playing through the speakers. There we go. Remember this song? Natalie Imbruglia's Torn from 1997. Well, there was a tweet that I saw from Pro Football Talk yesterday that had me thinking about this song. It comes from Mike Florio. Per source, Deshaun Watson is incredibly torn. He was impressed by the presentations from all four teams. The Cleveland Browns, who we found out, are out today. The Carolina Panthers, who are kind of out. The Atlanta Falcons, who rolled out the welcome whack into him when he went to Atlanta yesterday. And on top of that, we also have the New Orleans Saints, who met with Deshaun Watson again. It's down to the Saints and the Falcons. And we know where he's going. We know where he's going because of the work of somebody on Twitter by the name of Kyle Pitts. You might know him. He is a tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Let's take a look at some tweets here that were uh, put together by someone who works in Houston, who I very much enjoy because she has uh, no filter. Her name is uh, Rachel Van Orange. She found a couple of tweets, but this one's the most important one. If you're watching on Twitch, you can see it. It's about to get scary in Atlanta. He deleted that tweet. Deshaun Watson's going to Atlanta. You want something else? There's another tweet. Mike Davis running back for the Atlanta Falcons. Eyeball, eyeball, eyeball to that tweet by Kyle Pitts, which again was deleted. And Quincy Avery, in response to a Colin Kaepernick tweet, said, we in Atlanta tomorrow pull up. Last thing 
this one a funny one that Rachel put in there. Massage is much needed. I don't know if Deshaun Watson is going to a massage ever again, but that's just me. So Deshaun Watson's torn, but it seems like Atlanta's the team he's going to pick, which is great news for the Houston Texans. But it's kind of annoying to hear that Deshaun Watson is torn. Am I wrong? I mean, Deshaun Watson in this situation, he has it pretty damn good. I mean, we're talking about a guy who gets to pick where he ends up playing next after taking a year off while facing 22 current civil courts for, at best, being creepy. Life is so hard. But for whatever reason, I know I should be thinking about how annoying it is that Deshaun Watson is torn. Instead, I have that Natalie Imbruglia song stuck in my head. That's what's going on. I'm torn, rusty, hard, and scraped. Look at all these deals. Please don't shame me for things. I did naked on massage tables. That's what's stuck in my head, a song that I made up. It's bullshit that Deshaun Watson's torn. Shut the fuck up. You should really try your best to acknowledge that you were very lucky to face no criminal charges. And that you aren't out of the woods just yet. It does feel like now that he's not facing criminal charges, which I think a lot of people thought were very unlikely, that he is totally scot-free. Eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So that bothered me yesterday. Something else I wanted to dive into, and look, I, I know that this is old news as far as the Houston Texans go, but it was pretty interesting to see this courtesy of... NBC Sports Boston just the other day. Let me switch over to the video of that. Here is Albert Breer on NBC Sports Boston. I think the ship sailed on there being a coaching change now, but I think if we're up to him, it probably at this point, among among the guys who are available, Bill O'Brien. What? He wants Bill O'Brien? That's who that was who I, I've told you guys this before. That's who was going to be the head coach. Like that's who Tom Brady had helped to line up as the head coach if he had won the power struggle with Bill Belichick in 2017. If Belichick is out here, out of here, after everything that happened in 17, I'm telling you, Bill O'Brien will be the okay. head coach. That's surprising. Essentially, in a nutshell, Albert Breer was asked, hey, is there a head coach that Tom Brady maybe would want to play with not named Bruce Arians? And the suggestion that was brought up by Albert Breer, who is pretty damn close with one Bill O'Brien, was Bill O'Brien. And I think it's noteworthy because I believe him. Why do I believe him? Why do you think that Tom Brady included Bill O'Brien in his Hulu and ESPN Plus documentary? I mean... I don't think Tom Brady would have added him to it if he didn't think very fondly of him. You know, some of the other people on that show are very important patriots from that era. Michael Strahan made it. Richard Sherman made it. But Bill O'Brien also made it, and he seemed to be the odd duck compared to everybody else that was there. I mean, he was only with the Patriots for a little bit of time. But from what Albert Breer said, Brady, during a power struggle with Bill Belichick in New England in 2017, wanted Bill O'Brien, who was with the Houston Texans during a chaotic chaotic end of season 
where Deshaun Watson had torn his ACL. The Texans almost walked out of the game before uh, Watson tore his ACL against Seattle after Bob McNair had said prisons, uh, inmates running the prison. Um, the same week, Dwayne Brown forced a trade from Houston to Seattle. They lose all their games down the stretch. You're not sure if Bill O'Brien's going to keep his job. And ultimately, Rick Smith resigns. I say that with air quotation marks. All of that took place at the end of the year. Imagine if, on top of all of that, you saw Bill O'Brien leave the Houston Texans for the New England fucking Patriots. I mean, what a jump ahead for Bill O'Brien as far as his career goes. I don't know if he would have actually won anything with it because the last Patriots Super Bowl that they won was that one where they beat the Los Angeles Rams. That team was not that impressive. And I think that without Bill Belichick as the defensive mastermind, I don't think that that team is probably going as far as they went in the playoffs where they had a really good first half against the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and they obviously held the Rams to three points in the Super Bowl. It was a really impressive playoff run by New England that year. That they were able to go on the road to Kansas City and win that game, I mean, it, it really had a lot to do with how well defensively they played against Patrick Mahomes. Sure, Mahomes eventually got his. So, I don't think that O'Brien, had he taken over in New England, we're talking about O'Brien as a Super Bowl champion coach or something like that. But, I do find it pretty crazy that Tom Brady would want Bill O'Brien to be his next head coach if things don't work out with Bruce Arians. And, I want to ask a question, and I know some of you Houston people, you you hate hearing Bill O'Brien. I don't blame you. He was a pissed off, angry person all the time. Seemed very unfriendly. To me, I, I, I kind of got his anger. He's from Boston. We get mad at stuff for five minutes, and then we get over it five minutes later. But Bill O'Brien did not make any friends in that organization outside of with, I think, the quarterback. Deshaun Watson liked him. Tom Brady liked him. If those two players liked him, no matter how fucking awful a GM he was, doesn't that mean he was a good head coach? He's plus 500 as a coach. Not the best playoff record, obviously. And that game against Kansas City is one that I think we're going to look back at for a while and be very frustrated with. But he wasn't bad. He did not have much to work with until he finally got to Sean Watson. And then, of course, 2020 happened, and it was a complete disaster. In conclusion, if Tom Brady and Deshaun Watson like Bill O'Brien, I think you have to admit he was a good coach. I know, in all of you, I know though, that a lot of you are not going to do that. Uh, The latest rumor today, we saw that one Josina Anderson tweeted out that Baker Mayfield is someone that the Seattle Seahawks are looking at. That's pretty interesting given the way that the last 24 hours have gone for Baker Mayfield. In case you didn't know, he put up on social media essentially a farewell to Cleveland before he was even gone from Cleveland. But everyone expected him to be traded because Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, traveled to Houston to meet with Deshaun Watson. So he writes this long letter out. He signs it, Baker, Reagan, Mayfield. And he was getting crucified on Twitter. I I don't blame him for writing that thing. Honestly, I feel like he was trying to control the message and control what happens to him next. And if Cleveland doesn't want him, I mean, there's not a there's a pretty good chance that Cleveland would not stick with him as starter for the entirety of this coming season where if Baker Mayfield gets traded somewhere else, I think he's going to have a good chance to get a big contract somewhere. Not a, one of the contracts that we've seen guys like, you know, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff get. I think we're going to be a little bit more hesitant to give those out in the NFL in the future. But I, I understood why he was in his feelings online. But I can also understand, too, why uh, certain folks 
like a uh, Steve Smith on the NFL Network said this about Baker Mayfield. That Baker now um, is emotional. He wears his, his emotions on his sleeve. I do too. I was, I was an emotional player. But the difference between Baker and I is one. I won a triple crown. I led the league in something besides crying. That Baker now. <laughs> I led the league in something besides crying. I mean, good God. What a roast. So that's fantastic. Well, here's worse for Baker Mayfield. We saw today that Baker Mayfield demanded a trade. The Browns, who legitimately, through Chris Mortensen yesterday, said that we want more of an adult at quarterback. They are not going to trade him. So they said this online, on TV. Chris Mortensen says it with air quotations, which means that somebody in the Browns organization said, yeah, we want more of an adult at quarterback, and they're not going to trade him. This is so vintage Cleveland Browns. Didn't you think that they had finally figured it out? I thought they did. I thought that they had finally figured out how to properly run that organization of theirs. Seriously. And here we are once again with the Browns looking for another quarterback. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield was that impressive, but I think that he was tough. I feel like he provided that organization some leadership that it had not had at the quarterback position in a really long time. And he sucked it up through a lot of injuries this past season. Does that mean he deserves a new contract? No, I'm just saying, considering the way that the Browns have been handling the last 24 hours, they look just as bad as Baker Mayfield. I mean, what are you doing? Do you want Baker Mayfield or do you not want Baker Mayfield? Maybe you told him at the NFL Combine that there's a chance that we move on from you. And yeah, Deshaun Watson's a better player than Baker Mayfield. Maybe he should get it, except the fact that if they're going for Deshaun Watson, that's sort of the way that the NFL works. But at the same time, if you know or have a pretty good feeling that the trade's not going to go through, then maybe be a little bit more careful about the way that you tread because you can't keep Baker Mayfield now and you're not going to get full return in value for Baker Mayfield. Say you make a trade with a team that needs a quarterback of which there are a couple. You got the Colts. You probably have the Atlanta Falcons who I believe will have to make a trade fairly soon of Matt Ryan to actually land Deshaun Watson and the Falcons. That might be happening in just a little bit of time. We're recording this right now. It's 323 uh, Central Time. So perhaps that happens. Uh, I I do think that it stands to reason that Deshaun Watson's going to Atlanta based off of what Kyle Pitts tweeted. But if he goes to Indianapolis, Baker Mayfield, we're talking about Seattle or Atlanta, I don't think that they're going to get a very good return for him. He's not coming to Houston based off of what we know. So there you go. That is the latest on the Baker Mayfield front. Let us shift gears now. I know a lot of people in Seattle did not like the fact that I constantly defended the Houston Astros through the cheating accusations that were against them. But I I, I feel like you should give me a little bit of credit because I feel like I've been pretty consistent in saying that, yes, they cheated, but there are other teams across baseball that also cheated, like the Boston Red Sox, but the Red Sox didn't face the backlash that Houston did. They didn't. I mean, Alex Cora got suspended a year, but no one talked about that. They only talked about the Astros cheating scandal. Doesn't make what the Astros did right. It just was surprising that everything got centered on them. The Yankees were doing some of this stuff. There was a letter that baseball received that they have yet to unseal that they're supposed to unseal. 
And I think they don't want to unseal because they know it's going to implicate the Yankees in a sign-stealing scandal. I think the Dodgers did it too. Just look at Game 7 of the 2017 World Series with all the signs that were being crossed up. But get this. We now see, courtesy of Matt Holliday, who kind of played for the New York Yankees in the 2017 American League Championship Series, some more sour grapes. Here's Matt Holliday on the Short Porch Podcast, which is a Barstool Sports podcast that talks about the New York Yankees. So you had a long career um, spanning with the Rockies, Cardinals, Yankees. Um, Why were the Yankees your favorite uh, organization to play for and the best time you've ever had in your life? You know, it's uh, it was a great year, the first half anyways. Um, I really liked, you know, the guys, you know, living in New York City was was cool for, a you know, a, an Oklahoma kid. Um, it was a good experience all in all. And, and uh, you know, if, uh, who knows what would have happened if the Astros weren't, you know, banging on trash cans and, and we'd, have, we'd have had a chance to win a championship. Did you guys Fuck feel them. like something was up? <laughs> I remember thinking uh, a couple guys talking about how they were on some some of our pitchers that were absolutely nasty and some of the the nastiest pitches that were getting thrown to the plate uh it did feel like they knew what was coming uh, i am surprised that no one picked up on on any sort of noises it's uh it's definitely uh to your advantage uh to know uh when when severino's pitching and you know some of the nasty bullpen arms we had that year if you know a fastball's coming it's uh that's an ideal situation for him okay so let's pause for a moment why the fuck is Matt Holiday talking? You're 0 for 3 in the one game you played in the ALCS in that entire playoff run. You didn't do shit. You weren't a part of that team. Who knows what happens if the Astros weren't banging trash cans? Well, I know it would have happened if the Yankees scored more runs in Game 6 and Game 7 where they scored one combined run. Shut the fuck up. You're talking about the Astros when they're at the plate. Fine. Maybe they had an advantage there. But how the hell was that Yankee lineup Supposedly a fantastic lineup. Absolute ass in that entire series. Aaron Judge was terrible. Most of the Yankees' key hitters were not good. And you could say, oh, well, you know, there was a home field advantage for New York. Look at the splits in New York. Whatever. There was a point in Game 7 of the American League Championship Series where Lance McCullers threw, what, 25, 26, 27 straight curveballs? Fuck sign stealing. Hit the goddamn pitch. And these guys act over and over again like they have been slighted. Oh, poor me. We're the New York Yankees. What a bunch of losers. That organization has fallen so much. When I was growing up in Boston, I remembered looking at the Yankees, being terrified of them whenever I saw the Red Sox play them. I used to assume that they would always win in the end. The Harlem Globetrotters to my Washington Generals. I always thought that things were going to go down in a way where it doesn't matter. The Yankees are supernatural. And they have since then become this whining, choking, and they choke in the playoffs a lot. There's a sample size now where you can't just point at 2017 as the year that they were going to win. What would have happened? They probably would have lost in four games to the Los Angeles Dodgers had they won that series. But they continuously point to this, and it is little man syndrome shit. Oh, well, if I was six feet tall, I'd be this, I'd be that. You weren't. You didn't. Can you get over it? It's embarrassing, and it's beneath you if you're the Yankees. You assume you get back the next year. 
You assume that this is not something that is going to be stuck in your mind forever where you need a therapist or something. But these guys, for the life of them, just can't get over it. And I think it's straight loserdom. Again, look at your numbers at the plate in that series. You can bitch and moan about the Astros at the plate all you want. One of the best lineups that we've seen in baseball over the last five years, sign ceiling or no, there's no arguing that. They have had a murderer's row for five years. Were they helped? I'm sure that they got some benefit from the sign ceiling that they were doing. But you had to score runs. Your offense was a strength that season, and you did nothing at the plate. Boo fucking who, shut the fuck up. I'm tired of it. I'm so tired of it. And especially from Yankees fans. You know what? I get it from the players to an extent. I've seen players who feel like they have been wrong, say Marshall Falk with the uh, St. Louis Rams back in Super Bowl 36, like go to the ends of the earth saying that they were robbed because they're not going to remember the game the way that somebody like me who watches it, who would tell them that, well, maybe Kurt Warner shouldn't have sat back on his ass and thrown the ball straight up in the air, only to get picked off by Ty Law. Maybe Ricky Prohl shouldn't have fumbled in that game as well to set up the Patriots' second touchdown, so they go into halftime with a 14-3 lead. Honestly, the Rams were lucky in that game that it wasn't 21-3 because Kurt Warner never saw Marshall Falk on a play where Willie McGinnis was called for a hold, and to Bucky Jones returned to fumble 99 yards for a touchdown. It would have been 21-3. The game would have been over at that point. Excuse me, 24-3. The game would have been over. At that point, didn't happen. Rams score a touchdown the next play. It's like they forget what happens, but that's fine. They're players. I don't think that they're going to go back and watch the game that they lost or feel that they were cheated in every single time over and over again. But the fans who are watching, I mean, you should be able to see this stuff. You should be able to remember this stuff a lot better than them. It should be traumatized and seared into your brains that your team could not hit at all in those playoffs. That you could not hit. 27 straight curveballs by Lance McCullers coming out of the bullpen in Game 7 of that ALCS. And you can't get over it. Get over it, please. Because every single time, I will come to the wall and I will stuff you in a fucking body bag. I am tired of it. Go away. Shut up. Thank you. What else is going on? Oh, yeah, the NCAA tournament. I don't know where the hell Longwood is. Let me guess. Longwood, their logo is a horsey who is on some sort of like blue... I'm going to guess that Longwood is in California. Longwood University Basketball. The Longwood Lancers. Oh, they're from Virginia in the Big South. It's a nice logo. I like it. But they are getting their asses kicked by Tennessee. It's 77 to 47 with like seven minutes left. So, I mean, who cares? Who cares about that game? But I forgot to fill out a bracket. I'm really bummed out about this because I do plan on going to the uh, Golden Nugget in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is a couple of hours east for uh, Saturday's NCAA action. And I've always filled out a bracket. I'm, I'm kind of bummed out that I did this time around. I didn't get it done in time. I, I forgot about it yesterday. And then I woke up this morning and the next thing I know, I was at the station getting ready for uh, the show with Vanessa. Vanessa, like a lot every single weekday. 10 to noon on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Subscribe to the podcast. Watch it on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. And I just totally forgot. Whoops. Classic. There was something that took place in March Madness today that triggered me. And guess what? We're going back to the same things that I always yell about. I do not for the life of me get why James Harden fans like James Harden as much as they did. 
Paul, we're talking about March Madness. What are you talking about? Oh, you'll see if you're watching on Twitch.tv. So let's shift over here to a moment that took place in the game between earlier today, um, between Providence and South Dakota State. And in that game, South Dakota State was down three to Providence with about eh, 33 seconds or so to play. When this happened after Providence guard, is it Jared Bynum? One more time. Yes, Jared Bynum took this shot. Let's watch it. See that? He stuck out his right leg. Let's watch it one more time. Crowd reacting here. See, perfect, perfect broadcasting right there. Uh, uh, You see the replay. You see the leg extended. And whenever I saw this with James Harden, I just got so, so mad. I mean, James Harden did this a lot shooting three-point shots, and extending his legs really far, both of his legs, in a way where it felt like it was physically impossible. But he did it so much, and he would draw fouls doing it. And I remember a lot of the red teamers up online on Twitter would constantly say, oh, well, James Harden has the right to do that. Players have to be defended when they come down from a shot. And I was like, dude, he stuck his fucking legs forward. He's cheating. Just like he does when he does his gather step, which is definitely a carry. And just like he does... Whenever he flops, driving through the lane or wherever on the court he might. The guy plays with no honor. And I hope that people who saw that moment in that Providence-South Dakota State game, I hope that you saw that and I hope those people who are always defending James Harden for what he did, you better have defended the Providence player, uh, Jared Bynum, for taking that shot and doing it the way that he did it. Sticking that leg out. It was a three-point game. He missed the shot. I thought it was clean defense. Instead, Providence goes to the line. I think they hit two or three of those free throws that they got, and they ultimately ended up winning the game. They've been very lucky all season long based off of what I know. I haven't watched a whole lot of college basketball. But that moment right there, it reminded me of James Harden. Maybe I need to get over it. I love how this entire show is me talking about topics that are extremely old in Houston sports history. Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson, James Harden, they're all gone. All of them. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Gallant Says Podcast. Again, you can watch it live, twitch.tv slash Gallant Says. Join and ask questions so we can get extra weird. Not thrilled with the participation today, but I get it. We're building this slowly. I actually need to post this version of the podcast. I will. A podcast that you could get on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You could also watch the whole podcast, youtube.com slash Paul Gallant. If you haven't already, whether it's by podcast or by YouTube or by Twitch, subscribe, rate, review, every little bit, I appreciate it. This has been the Gallant Says Podcast on a Thursday live on Twitch. So long. Farewell. Enjoy today's NCAA tournament action. You'll catch Vanessa and I tomorrow at 10. Until then, later.